Greetings, greetings once again to all my enemies and all my friends. It is the Weekly Worldview, and I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Welcome back. It's the show where we don't take calls. We don't tolerate sponsors, but we're happy to help you focus on the events of the week so with some sense of uh, meaning and order and something worthwhile. I want to start with a story that is blatantly, obviously biased toward the way I think. That's right, from the widespread data file, a story from the National Pulse reports on a new paper, a clinical study, a paper, I tell you. The paper analyzed whether mandatory masks influenced the case fatality rate of COVID. Did masks cause more COVID deaths or less? Which, which do you think I'm going to report on here on the Weekly Worldview? All right. So the, the paper actually analyzed mask use in the state of Kansas. Because in Kansas, you see, from August to October in 2020, it was up to the county whether or not to mandate masks. And so since Kansas allowed each of its 105 counties to decide for themselves on whether or not to mandate masks, you had a perfectly good data set available. 81 counties decided against mandating masks. Well, results from this analysis of case fatality rates suggest that the mask mandates actually caused about 1.5 times the number of deaths. That's about 50% more dead people compared with no mask mandates. The study posited a possible reason for this. Yes, probably virions that enter or those coughed out in droplets are retained in the face mask tissue. And then after the spit evaporates... Hypercondensed virions are reinhaled from a very short distance during uh, inspiration. That's right. So you coughing and hacking. If you had a cold virus and you put a mask on your face and you didn't have enough virions to make you sick, but you keep recycling them through this filthy piece of, yeah, okay, it's possible. The study also, by the way, follows another study recently published that shows the same relationship between increased COVID dead people and mask use. We're not going to cite that other study, although we will link to it because it serves our purposes because we don't like masks, because we know they're stupid. And there's never been an experiment where massive amounts of people wore masks all the time. That's never been done before. And it just doesn't seem healthy on its face. I uh, had a conversation with, I don't, let's see, I don't want to say who this person was. Let's just say it's a person that we encountered. <laughs> I and my extremely attractive audio engineer encountered this person out in the world. <laughs> and this person said to us uh, after relaying a story about someone they knew who got COVID and it ruined their trip. And oh, it was just so sad. Which is always sad when you go on a trip and you catch a cold. That's a bummer, right? Anyway, now it's COVID. Of course, it has to be COVID. Everything's COVID. Every time you sneeze, cough, sniffle, it's COVID. Uh, so anyway, this person said, you know what, though? We've got a lot of data now that if you're vaxxed and boosted, you won't die from COVID. A lot of data, he said, that if you're vaxxed and boosted, to which I wanted to say to him, do you know there's a lot of data that marijuana makes people psychotic? In fact, I'll bet you there's more data on the psychotic effects of marijuana than there are that if you're vaxxed and boosted, you won't die from COVID. So, folks, it's all a matter of which data set you prefer. 
So he prefers to ignore the data on marijuana, but to relate to people who don't want the data on COVID, he relates that data. So, uh, so I prefer the data that says masks are stupid and, and dangerous and unhealthy. Um, and I don't know of any studies that show that masks are good. If you have some, keep the data to yourself. I don't want to hear it, okay? I'm sick of it all. A new study from the widespread panic file, another study, although studies aren't worth what they used to be, are they? Kind of hard to take studies all that seriously anymore. In fact, someone said recently, uh, in fact, it was that same person, the pothead, who was talking about the data and, and, and how it's hard. You know, it can be kind of difficult to know what data you can trust. It's, it, I understand. At which point I wanted to say, but I didn't. I wanted to say, you know how you can find data you trust? Do your Google data search before November 15th, 2019. That's how you can find reliable data on just about anything, especially cold viruses. Anyway, from the widespread panic file, a new study at the National Institutes of Health has found that there's no evidence that long-term COVID-19 infection exists at all. Long COVID, they call it. A new NIH study says that as far as they can tell, there's no evidence of, of, that there is anything called long COVID. People six or more weeks removed from symptoms, they still report that they're experiencing COVID. But the researchers are like, but you're not. <laughs> and they're like, but we are, but you're not. Anyway, individuals who reported having long COVID were disproportionately women and individuals with a history of anxiety disorders. <laughs> wow. Kind of right, right in there with the old fibromyalgia crowd. <clears throat> uh, clinical research is mixed uh, regarding long COVID. Uh, alarmists cited as a reason to further impose policies like masks, vaccine mandates, and the ever-popular six feet of social distancing. We're in the hardware store the other day. Yesterday, for crying out loud. And they're still replaying the recycled recording to, to allow six feet of space between each other. I want to strangle somebody. It's like, don't you realize that's all over? The, are you, do you think the lawyers are still walking through your aisles looking for reasons to sue you? Anyway. That they, maybe they do. Maybe they just just to be sure they don't get sued. They're just going to keep we're going to keep with the six feet until all of us are dead. We're just going to keep doing that just in case. All right. Meanwhile, the FDA from the big bad government file, a top FDA official in charge of evaluating drugs has been hospitalized against his will for a mental disorder. Uh huh. He was committed against his will. Dr. Jeffrey Siegel. Is that the guy on Fox News, the oh, yeah. bozo? Is Jeff Siegel, is it Jeff? I don't know. No, I think, I think that's Mark. Not to, be, not to have that guy confused with this guy. We certainly wouldn't want that to happen. But that, that's, uh, that Mark Siegel on uh, Tucker Carlson and half a dozen other Fox shows, I've suspected he has a mental disorder ever since I first started seeing him on TV. This is a guy who was all on board, rah, rah, for the lockdowns. One of the worst of the worst offenders, who was a total true believer, strapped a mask around his face and had a six-foot measuring tool, I'm sure, <laughs> walking around enforcing that garbage. And now he's the skeptic on, uh, on Tucker. Yeah, it's like nobody, you think nobody was running videotape on any of you people? We all know where you came down on it bunch of slacker cowards. Anyway, this is a different Dr. Siegel. This is Dr. Jeffrey Siegel was committed to a hospital for a mental disorder at 3 a.m. against his will. A biography of Siegel states that he leads the office of new drugs. That's kind of scary that we have an office like that. That's it's just not that you maybe it's not that you shouldn't have an office of new drugs. It's that with these people in charge, 
We probably shouldn't have an office of new drugs. We need to, let's, you know what? Let's lock that office door for now. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, the, the FDA organizational chart available online says that Dr. Jeffrey Siegel is also leading, and here's how it reads on the government website, quote, the Division of Biomechial Informacy Research and Biomaker Dev. So it's all misspelled. It's as if, it's as if a computer generated this title. And it's not even a real person. It's supposed to be the Division of Biomedical Information Research. And then the last word I can't even figure out. Biomaker. I don't even know what that's supposed to be. But it's as if this is goggle, a gobbledygook spit out by a computer just to fill a space. You know, like you when you, when you first look at a website template, it's got the six semper fidelis. All, you know, it's the fake words. It's, it's like they do that now for government positions. They just spit out a bunch of words, and that's your title, and you start collecting $118,000 a year until you're committed to a facility against your will for a mental disorder. Uh, anyway, this, this, uh, this particular Dr. Jeffrey Siegel, according to a science.org article, in 2010 he oversaw the approval of a drug from Genentech, and then a few months later, he left the FDA to join Genentech and then represented Genentech before the FDA. <laughs> Oddly enough, isn't that weird? Uh, he, of course, said the timing of all of this was merely coincidental. And so now the, the FDA doctor, allegedly, uh, I don't see MD after his name. When you see a DR before someone's name instead of an MD after their name, you have to ask questions. That's all. I just want you to be aware of that, people. Anyway, he may be an MD. I don't know. But uh, he's been committed. He's in charge of new drugs, and he's been committed to a mental institution for an undisclosed mental disorder. And so he's your average bureaucrat, right? He's your average, not just a bureaucrat, but a bureaucratic opportunist, right? Because he... He quits the FDA, goes work for Genentech, and then after he makes a big score, he goes back to the FDA because he actually has no skills. <laughs> and once that uh, opportunistic opportunity was over, it was obvious that he had no skills, no talent. He was basically useless. He was like a tick stuck on the side of society. And so he had to go back to his government job. Anyway, but is he crazy? That's the question, right? And since he was committed to a mental institution by the government, well, we don't know. It's possible that he's not crazy at all. It's possible that he just offended someone else in the, uh, in the apparatus, in the bureaucracy. He offended another bureaucrat who had more power than him, and so he finds himself committed to a mental institution when actually he's not crazy. Or it's possible that he is crazy. But you know what's scary is we don't know anymore. Normally, you would think that when a doctor gets committed against his will because he's got a mental disorder, you would trust the governing authorities that he actually has a mental disorder. But we can't do that anymore. Because whoever it is who committed this guy might work for the Department of Justice or the FBI or another agency that has completely squandered any amount of uh, capital, credibility, cap credible capital that they had, they're, they're all corrupt. And so we don't know who's crazy. Is it the doctor here who was on the take with Genentech, who's in charge of new drugs, who's maybe getting high on his own supply? <laughs> or is it the people in the big bad government who had him committed and we don't know? In fact, if you're in the bureaucracy, if you're of the bureaucracy, whether you're the tick on the bureaucracy or whether you're the giant beast, it's all survival of the fittest. It's all doggy dog. It's every man for himself.
It's the Weekly Worldview. I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Thank you for sticking with us. Having a hard time stumbling over my teeth and trying to speak today. I'll try to do better. Um, We're going to go, let's see here. Did I bring my Bible, which is on my phone? I did. All right, good, because I may need that. I may may need, uh, let's see here. We're going to go to Texas, of course. From the from the next massacre file, that's unfortunate that we have the next massacre file, but it's it's just the next massacre. This is an article from the Federalist. Nineteen children and two adults died on Tuesday after an eighteen-year-old opened fire at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. The shooter is now deceased. Yada 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 goes on. The author's Jordan Boyd, regular uh, writer for The Federalist, uses this passive, disconnected language. And this is a, an allegedly conservative reporter. Nineteen children and two adults died? They died? After an 18-year-old opened fire. Poor Jordan is just another victim of the university. He's a victim to the, or, or he or she, I don't know if it's a he or she. Jordan, could be a boy or a girl. Um, and so Jordan's a victim of the university, of, 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 of his upbringing. But at some point after you grow up, Jordan, you should be able to recognize reality for what it is and stop using the passive, disconnected language that your brain was poisoned with at journalism school. Uh, Jordan Boyd, the author here at The Federalist, has degrees, two degrees, one in poli-sci and one in urinalism, meaning no real degree in anything meaningful at all. This means that Jordan was able to keep acting like he was looking at books the whole time he was in college, and so he got a degree in uh, political science and a degree in urinalism, and he now urinalizes for the Federalist, which is uh, a somewhat conservative. It's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing how uh, where we are. Anyway, uh, the, the author, Jordan, goes on in the Federalist article, it's clear now from school shootings that families can't trust government schools to bring their children home safely. Uh, institutions that punish students for misgendering people and hide curriculum from parents are simply not equipped to safeguard your children from harm. Okay. (laughs) It's unnecessarily non-confrontational language that the author chooses to use because the author's brain was twisted and corrupted to the point where not only does the author not realize it, but the editors at The Federalist don't realize that this is left-wing drivel. They're simply not equipped. It's not that they're not equipped. You just said they're punishing people for misgendering and they're hiding curriculum from parents. What they're hiding from parents is pornographic, a a molester, child molester curriculum for which people should be arrested. It's not that they're not equipped. That's not, no. No. How about they're, uh, at the very least, at the very least, they're negligent. Criminally negligent, possibly, and and possibly just plain old criminal. In some cases, just straight up criminal. Forget the not not equipped, okay? Anyway, the author goes on here at The Federalist. You can't protect your kids from everything, but you can prevent them from being sitting ducks at school by keeping them by your side. Every mother and father should take the opportunity to exercise their parental duty to love, protect, instruct, and empower their children. No bulletproof backpacks necessary. Oh, by the way, the the uh, title of the article, Texas Shooting Makes a Somber Case for Homeschooling. And so at the very end of the article, the author finally gets to the point of what the whole point should be, encouraging parents to homeschool their kids. 
Every parent should take the opportunity to exercise their parental duty to love, protect, instruct, and empower. Really? Empower? Is this author gay or something? Empower? Do we use that on the right? Could you stop with the whole empowerment? I don't want to accuse Jordan Boyd of being a homosexual, but I'm sorry, you know? All of the cultural elites on the TV and on the radio and everywhere on the left, the left and the so-called right, by the way, they're all mouthing the words that murdered children is the worst. It's horrible, terrible, awful that children are murdered and we shouldn't politicize and we shouldn't grab guns and we shouldn't give speeches. These are murdered children. It's horrible. It's the worst. That's all, and they're saying that on all sides of the political aisle, if you will. While all of them, left, right, and center, all of them daily either promote murdering children or they ignore murdering children. And, and I don't know what's worse, actually. The promoting of the murdering of children or the ignoring of it. Because I know that being ignored is pretty painful. Just to be ignored. I mean, if someone's promoting you as their enemy and they're saying wrong things about you, they're being mean to you, they're... I mean, that's one thing. But to be ignored is... A lot of times it's even worse. Anyway, so the people on the left who promote the murdering of children are utterly hypocritical to say that this bothers them in any way. And then the people on the right who daily just ignore the bloodbath of murdered children... The, the soaking of innocent blood. They just ignore it every day. They're, they're hypocritical as well. Anyway, that's why, that's why we're in some trouble, folks. We're in some trouble. But uh, hang on. We're here for you. We're here for you. Uh, again, from the next massacre file, footage has now emerged. I'm sure you've seen it. Parents yelling at the law enforcement officers in front of the school in Uvalde, Texas debating whether or not to enter the school themselves to stop the uh, what Radar Online calls the active shooter. Here at the Weekly Worldview, we call him a killer, a, man a maniac killer. He's not an active shooter. Do you notice the passivity, the effeminate passivity that we've all been forced to mouth with our mouths? If you obey... I, uh, our school marms who are forcing us to mouth words that are effeminate and disconnected, you're giving up the freedom that's not yours. You're giving up a certain level of freedom that you don't have the right to surrender to these bastards who want to destroy us and kill us and rape our kids. You don't have the right to use the word active shooter. You should call him a killer. And if you don't, you're part of the problem. And you should get out of journalism. Uh, this uh, Radar Online, I don't think it's even conservative, so I have no idea who this person is. I don't care. They're not qualified. Uh, they should go back to scratching their name on bathroom walls and leave the journalism to people who understand the language. The uh, Radar Online article goes on to quote a father, Javier... Sazeres, whose 10-year-old daughter, Jacqueline, was killed in the massacre at Uvalde Elementary School, at the Robb Elementary School. And the father says more could have been done. He says there was at least 40 lawmen armed to the teeth, but they didn't do a darn thing until it was too late. This is a father whose daughter was actually killed. He says the situation could have been over quick if they'd had better tactical training. So, listen, I'm not going to say anything about this dad. His daughter is... So, um, but uh, it's not that they didn't have tactical training. It's that they didn't have courage. That's what they lacked. And, and I've read stories about... <clears throat> One father who grabbed a shotgun at the <clears throat> at the barber shop and went into the school, rescued his own kids and other kids with a shotgun. 
One mother ran into the school without a gun at all. Without a gun at all. She ran into school to get her kids. And you had 40 cops standing outside. It's just... um, And so everyone's upset that the police didn't immediately enter the classroom, right? And risk getting themselves killed in order to save the kids and take out the, the Rob Elementary school killer. Everyone's in shock. And now remember, when you think that way, the implication is that you would have acted decisively and differently. And uh, like I said, one mother actually did. And one father, the mother ran in with nothing in her hands. And wouldn't any of us? Does it really even take courage? I don't even think it's courage at that point. I think it's uh, just a natural instinct. Your child is trapped in a situation where they might be killed. You rush in there, even if you might get killed. But the police didn't. And you have to stop and wonder, why did the police obey the order of whomever it was that said, stand down? Now, they're saying now that the, the, that the cop in charge on the scene thought that it was a barricade situation and that there were no kids still alive in the school. And so he made the decision for well over a half an hour to tell the police not to go in. So why did they obey? Why? So you have to you have to override a certain level of just natural instinctual I mean it's almost like an animal instinct that you would you would have to make sure that that was the case before you would stand down, right? I I would think, but they didn't. They actually stood there and waited. And how is it that you don't, did, was there no more gunfire? Did you not hear the gunfire? Because we know there were 911 calls coming out of the school. And the kids were running to the police saying, my kid's on the phone, alive in the school, scared, please go in. And they didn't. I, I, I personally cannot comprehend how this happened. Except to... Uh, I just maybe I want to posit some theory as to how it is you didn't go in. How is that? Keep in mind, these are all the same police who bent the knee and took the shot to keep their jobs. Um, Cops are like the military, by the way. Very few heroes. Most of them are just bureaucrats. They're people who went to work for the government because they didn't really have the chops to make it in the private sector, and they'll do whatever they're told to keep out of trouble and preserve their job and their pension. Apparently, including letting children be murdered. After all, ladies and gentlemen, how hard is it for the average, how hard is it for the average American to turn their head the other way while children are being murdered? Well, we all do it every day. Well, I mean, some of us speak up and some of us make some effort, but all of all of America turns their head and ignores the the bloodbath of murdered children every day. So how hard is it, especially after the bending of the knee and the shot and you took the shot and you did it, you did what you had to do, right? So how long has it been since a police officer arrested any of the child killers who kill children every day or any of the molesters who corrupt the children in the schools and all the perverts who want to molest the minds of the kids at the very least. How long has it been since a a cop stood up or even spoke out about it? How long has it been? It's been generations. And so you wonder, how is it that the cops could have stood outside when they knew Well, folks, when you have to ask your police to behave like the military when entering a classroom to subdue an unruly boy, that's what this would have been in the past. This would have been an unruly boy who needed to be subdued. But now, he's a maniac with a a rifle in the classroom butchering the kids. 
and we expect our police now to act like the military and assume that some of us are going to have to die in order to take this guy out. And so, folks, we should just stop and ask ourselves if maybe there needs to be some dramatic changes in how we're raising the boys. If, the, if we have to go into a military phalanx stacking maneuver, sacrificing our lives to enter the classroom to subdue what, what is an unruly boy, maybe some things need to change. View. And I'm your host, Doug McBurney. If, you know, uh, another thing I've been hearing since the last massacre, not the next one, the last one, wh what I've been hearing is that all Americans are sad and in shock and deeply saddened. And I want to confess to you right now <coughs> that I do not believe that I have the capacity or the emotional bandwidth to be properly saddened or shocked or deeply saddened by this. I just don't. I know I should. And I'm sure there was a time in the past when hearing about someone going into a school with a rifle and mowing down innocent children would have shocked and saddened me. I'm sure there was a time when that was true. But I just, I'm not able to... Uh, process this appropriately i i don't believe perhaps perhaps that will be later described as a mental disorder that i have that could very well be but i just don't have the ability to weep about this i don't there it's it's just so, so many so much there's just so much <clears throat> that i'm i'm probably to some degree i'm broken and I, I'm not looking for someone to blame for that. that. That's really not my place to place blame for why is it that I cannot be deeply saddened and shocked and weep and cry over this. It's not my place to assign blame. But there's a reason for it. And the reason is, is that our entire civilization... We're up to our neck in innocent blood. We're awash in it every day. And if you read the news, you eventually, you eventually become inured to it. You just There's no way to possibly process the appropriate emotions anymore. All right, there. Now, a report from the BBC from the widespread file, Dennis Butler. Have you heard about Dennis Butler? You haven't heard about Dennis Butler. A 37-year-old with an extensive criminal history targeted a group of about 40 people attending a birthday party and started shooting at them on May 25th. By the way, the shooting, the massacre, the shooting, look at this. Even I'm victimized by the way our culture uses this passive, disconnected, effeminate language. I apologize. The killer... At the massacre in Uvalde, the massacre in Uvalde took place on May 24th, just in case you've forgotten, because, you know, there's the one in Buffalo you're trying to keep track of, you know, when the May 24th, the massacre in Uvalde happens. May 25th, 
Dennis Butler targets a group of 40 people with a rifle, starts shooting into the group. So a woman, a woman pulled out her sidearm and fired back and shot and killed Dennis Butler before anyone in the crowd could be killed. In fact, nobody was even hurt because she took out a pistol and she shot the guy. The police spokesman, Tony, says that the, the woman who fired back at uh, Dennis Butler did not have any law enforcement background. She was carrying her lawful, her weapon lawfully, but she had no training. She had no tactical gear. She had no ballistic shield. She just pulled out her pistol and shot the guy. Uh, by the way, Dennis Butler, the man who opened fire on the crowd... He was found dead at the scene from multiple gunshot wounds, which means she shot him more than once. Um, by the way, also a group of five people were shot in Chicago on Saturday night. That's a mass shooting. But the people in the medstream media, they could care less that uh, five people were shot in Chicago on Saturday night. I don't know why. Why? Why do they care so much about the kids in Uvalde, but they don't care at all about the kids in Chicago? They don't report on the woman who killed the maniac before he could kill anyone. They don't report on the five people shot in Chicago on Saturday night. Is it because they were all black? Is that why? Was, is that it? I mean, every one of the kids shot in Chicago over the weekend, they all looked like they could have been Barack Obama's kids. And in fact, in a sense, they are, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact. So why is it? Uh, I don't even have to ask. That's a rhetorical question. I know why. I know why. Okay. Um, so to, where do I want to go now? I, I just don't think I can do this. Um, <clears throat> well, let's just go here to Mound, Minnesota from the Justice File. A woman was booked into the Hennepin County, Minnesota jail. Uh, she was a, mo a mother. Um, her and a fellow named Tony have been fighting over custody of their son. And uh, <clears throat> the, the mother was, has, uh, according to the article here at uh, Fox 32 in Chicago, the mother has struggled with drug addiction and mental health issues. Uh, she struggled with drug addiction and mental health issues before she was booked into the Hennepin County Jail, by the way. She had been in a custody dispute with her ex. Maybe they were married, maybe they weren't. Uh, I guess they were... Um, the biological mom, who had struggled with drug addiction and mental health issues, was recently awarded custody of the seven-year-old child. Why? Well, why did the court award custody to a strung-out mother rather than the derelict father who, at the time of this report, was shacking up with his next ex-girlfriend, insisting that he should have custody of the boy? But the strung-out mother was insisting she should have. And so the judge is looking at the case, and there was no one obviously qualified to raise the child. So in a random act, in a mindless system, the child was assigned to the drug-addicted strung-out mother instead of the father who was shacking up with his next ex-girlfriend who insisted he should be the one. So the son, 7-year-old Eli, ends up with the mother, and then through a series of events that we will find out about later, seven-year-old Eli was found shot nine times in the trunk of his strung-out mother's car and dead because strung-out mom murdered the seven-year-old boy. And we have no idea exactly why or exactly what happened. But Eli was found murdered in the trunk of his mother's car. And m mom's in jail, and uh, dad is still shacking up with his next ex-girlfriend, insisting that the, the system made a mistake. 
And then we go from there to uh, Coconut Creek, Florida, where authorities in Florida arrested a naked man who killed a woman and an infant and another person. The crime spree, the murder and mayhem spree, began in an apartment complex where a woman was found dead. A one-year-old child was mortally wounded, later died. The, the maniac fled that apartment complex, was involved in a series of car crashes that left at least two other people seriously injured and another man fatally shot. This all, ladies and gentlemen, stemmed from some sort of argument that a couple of generations ago would have resulted in some yelling and screaming. But now he goes on a, a murder and mayhem spree, murders the woman, murders the child, murders, accidentally kills whoever's in his way. And so our civilization is soaked in innocent blood. And so that takes us to Micah, Micah the prophet of doom, by the way. Uh, and I'm going to quote from Micah chapter 7, starting in verse 2, where the prophet Micah is pronouncing against the people of the land the judgment of God against them, the attitude of the living God about the people in the land. Micah is speaking to them, and he says, quote, the faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among them. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net that they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe. And the great man utters his evil desire. So they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes. And now shall be their perplexity. From the gay, not happy file. 23-year-old Isaiah Lee was carrying a knife and a replica firearm when he was arrested after assaulting comedian Dave Chappelle on stage. And he now says, quote, I identify as bisexual and I wanted Mr. Chappelle to know that what he said was triggering. Tr triggering, uh, he said. Uh, <clears throat> the insane maniac who jumped on stage with a knife 
said, quote, next time Dave Chappelle should consider first running his material by people it it could affect. Uh, The maniac says he also took offense to jokes Chappelle made about homelessness because he had previously been homeless and struggled with homelessness. And so Dave Chappelle's jokes made him emotional and upset. The, the maniac was quoted, by the way, he was interviewed by, who, is, who interviewed this maniac? The New York Post. says uh, The maniac says it's a struggle and I wanted Dave Chappelle to know it's not a joke. Well, let's just stop right there because while the New York Post will not stop, I will. Uh, Mr. Maniac with the knife who jumped on stage against the comedian. It is a joke, actually, being a queer or being a bum is a joke. It's something to be mocked and joked about. It's called social stigma. And the reason jokes about queers and bums are funny is because queers and bums are deviant. They're not normal. They're abhorrent. And they are to be abhorred and mocked and made fun of. And that's why jokes about them are funny. <clears throat> And while Dave Chappelle could have left out all the filthy language and all of that, I'm not a big Chappelle fan. Queers and bums are to be mocked. They are to be, yes. So as to establish a stigma in the minds of young people against being a queer or being a bum. Such behaviors are not good. They're not profitable, they're not beneficial, they're socially and spiritually dangerous, and therefore we make jokes about them to mock them. And folks, here's the thing. If you think I'm mean or or I'm a rotten person because I say it's okay to make jokes about queers and bums, keep in mind that the leftists and the deviants, all you MAGA people who say that you're against the the radical left, well, well, the radical left, left the deviants the perverts they know the value of establishing stigma in the minds of the youth the young and the innocent people that's why they're trying to teach them that being a faggot is good when they're in second grade because they understand the value of getting to the mind when it's very young and still being formed and, say, and we used to know that, too. That's why there were jokes about queers. Even before you even really knew what a queer was, there were jokes about them that you got. All right, because uh, anyway, that's from the gay not happy file. We go now to reason number 1,966 to get or keep your children out of the government schools. Stephanie Guido, the librarian at Sterling Middle School there in Virginia, There's a library book in her library that's titled Seeing Gender, an Illustrated Guide to Identity and Expression. The book defends sex work as respectable work. It has a chapter entitled Sex Work is Not a Bad Term. And the librarian Stephanie says, here's what Stephanie said. The librarian asserted, to another teacher that the book should remain in the school library because it could help some students feel validated and less alienated. At which point everybody does a double take and you're like, wait a minute, what does she mean? Well, here's what the teacher who reported this said. She says that the librarian started talking, quote, she started talking about how there's kids who come to the library who do sex work and this makes them feel validated, unquote. That's what the teacher said to police. Why did she say it to police? Well, because as a teacher, when you hear about students who might be doing sex work, you're obligated to go to the police because that's considered abuse. Right? If a child is is engaged in sex work, that's abuse. And so this teacher went to the police. And she reported to the police that the librarian thinks there are kids who are involved in sex work, which means they're being prostituted, which means that's a crime. But here's the thing, folks, and that's why this is reason number 1,966, to get or keep your children out of the government schools. The librarian at Sterling Middle does not immediately perceive a child involved in sex work as abuse. 
And you know what that means about the librarian? She should immediately be arrested. And her house and all of her stuff should be searched. If she doesn't understand that a child involved in sex work is actually being prostituted, and that's a crime. But here's the thing. Um, here's how far afield we are, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the police haven't arrested anyone. <laughs> they haven't arrested anything. Anyway, and not only that, the, 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 whoever wrote this article over there at the Post Millennial actually uses the leftist vernacular by calling prostitution and, and uh, pr by calling prostitution sex work. Th that's not a term that's acceptable. I'm sorry. Sex can't be work. That's not, no, that's not allowed. We're not allowed to use that language. We're not allowed to call criminal activity sex work. No, I'm sorry. You can call it prostitution. You can call it whatever other appropriate uh, vernacular is appropriate. But we're not going to use the leftist vernacular of sex work. No, that's not acceptable. Journalists at the post-millennial, you're all post-millennial, obviously. And it's sad to see. So there you have reason number 1,966 to get or keep your children out of the government schools. And that brings me, by the way, because people have been requesting the list... Of all 1,966 reasons to get or keep your children out of government schools, and I'm sorry to inform you that that list doesn't exist in one place. <laughs> in order to get the list of 1,966 reasons to get or keep your children out of the government schools, you would have to go back and listen to my show for the past 15 years, a lot of which uh, doesn't exist anymore, or well, it exists, but it's in a box under my bed. It's not on the internet anymore because when I started this show in 1999, I think it was, uh, I was on another, uh, uh, I was on KGov on, on the podcast and on the radio once in a while. And a lot of that just hasn't been preserved. And a lot of it was myself and Bob Enyart reporting on events at public schools in real time, trying to warn you people to get or keep your children out of the government schools. Uh, but I have preserved for all of uh, for all of posterity the original six reasons because it started out with six. It started well. It's it, we started out with six hundred and sixty-six because we assumed that there had been at least six hundred and sixty other reasons that were obvious to everyone before we realized. Oh no, we need to start keeping track because these idiots aren't paying attention. And they're going to keep feeding their kids into the government schools despite the fact that they're actually now being shot and killed at school. Because it was not long after uh, the Columbine massacre that I started the show. And anyway, that was when Bob and I realized, my goodness, these hapless parents, they don't understand that now that their kids are being shot and killed at school, we've got their attention. But that's what it takes. It's shocking. Anyway... The original top six reasons to get or keep your children out of the government schools, and I'm not going to do this as a countdown. I'm going to do them in order, starting with the number one reason and then going to reason number six. So the number one reason to get or keep your children out of the government schools is because the government schools are officially atheist. There is no biblical God, they teach. And in doing that, they teach the children... Well, since there is no God, you are God, or you can be in the place of God, and so am I, the teacher, and the principal, and the administration, and the culture, and your appetites, and your, your desires. In fact, my appetite and my desires, those can be God if my appetite and my desires are bigger and stronger than your appetites and your desires, then I take the place of God, is what they teach your kids. That's the number one reason. That should be enough for any God-fearing patriotic American to realize that to send your kids to the government school is a sin. That one reason alone, that they're officially atheist and everything that goes along with that, that should have been enough to get your attention, but no, what it took was actual bloodshed. You wouldn't pay attention until they started shooting and killing your kids. You should be embarrassed that, that it took actual gunfire to get your attention. That should embarrass you and wake you up. The number two reason is the evolutionary worldview that's taught in the public schools. They teach your children 
that they came from nothing by accident. They're going nowhere. Hey, Johnny, Sally, come on in, sit down. You came from nothing by accident. You're going nowhere, and neither is anybody else. It's all about natural selection and survival of the fittest. The strong survive, the weak die, or as we like to say, they're not conserved. And if my appetites and my desires are bigger and stronger than yours, then it's just natural that you should be subservient to me, says the teacher, as they molest the child's mind at the very least and quite possibly molest their actual body. That's before they're shot and killed. They're molested before they're shot and killed. The number three reason to get or keep your children out of the government schools, moral relativism. There is no absolute right and wrong, Johnny, Sally. You decide, or I decide. If I'm bigger than you and I'm stronger than you, then I decide what's right and wrong. Otherwise, you can decide. But there is no absolute right or wrong. Here, I'll show you. And then they show them, which should have gotten your attention. But it took the actual gunfire and the flesh and the bone and the blood and the splatter on the walls. That's what it took to get your attention. Uh, Number four, your child may be molested by a teacher. Number five, your child may be raped by another student. Number six, your child may be shot and killed. Those were the original top six. Out of the 666 that we thought would have already gotten your attention, but we there were 600 others that predated the, uh, the list of that now has 1,966 reasons. And what was this one? Oh, yeah. The librarian doesn't recognize that sex work is actually prostitution, criminal activity, and child abuse. Not even the librarian recognizes that, which means, of course, she should be immediately arrested and everything she owns should be searched. But that hasn't happened because even the police don't know what to do anymore. So if the police don't know what to do when the librarian's a child molester, how do we expect the police to know what to do when they should be stacking and infiltrating uh, a military operation that's broken out in an elementary school? They don't know what to do. None of them are qualified. All right, so there we have uh, the top six, the reason 666. And so we go from there to the decline and fall file where the Federalist author, Joy Pullman, is the author there at the Federalist. And Joy writes that uh, she got an email from her 4-H club signed by a 4-H staffer who put pronouns in his signature and expressed to Joy in an email that youth are assigned cabins based on the gender registration, their gender identity as expressed on their gender registration card. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's not a gender registration card, it says. It's a registration for a camp at the 4-H camp, right? The 4-H camp registration card now has the kids give their gender identity. And that's how cabins will be assigned, Mom. When your kids come to camp for 4-H. So Joy is uh, Joy Pullman, author at The Federalist, actually got this message from the 4-H club about their upcoming camp. And so she was shocked. She says it's unacceptable. This is an unacceptable risk to children, and it's a lawsuit waiting to happen, says uh, Joy. Um, She goes on that 4-H's national commitment to the toxic diversity, equity, and inclusion ideology means that Christian kids now cannot equally access lots of their programming. She says, I am shocked that my red county in my red state is giving tax breaks and other government privileges to an organization, 4-H, that... um, that is uh, that might have children room overnight with troubled people of the opposite sex against their parents' will. 
So she's upset that 4-H is pressuring kids to be sexualized against their parents' will, and Joy's just in shock. Her red county and her red state, how are we putting up with all of this? So a note to the author, Joy. Joy Pullman over at The Federalist. First of all, in the uh, in her bio at The Federalist, Joy identifies as gender natural, the mother of six. So just real quick, Joy, don't identify as gender anything, okay? Do us all a favor. Do us on the right. Do us on the fa- do us the favor of not using leftist vernacular and leftist nomenclature by gender identifying as gender anything, okay? Don't give the degenerates storming the gates of our civilization for our kids. Don't give them either the energy or the legitimacy that they desire by using their vernacular and their nomenclature and identifying as gender anything. It's an insult to the rest of us to whom you're trying to portray yourself as a conservative. And we assume you are a conservative. You're a mother of six children, for crying out loud. They don't deserve your uh, gender identity, I'm sorry. They are to be treated, by the way, Joy, as an enemy in time of war. Oh, America is so divided. Everything's so divisive. Well, that's because they're trying to rape and murder our children. So the time to divide, well, I would have thought we had your attention 660 reasons ago, but... uh, Anyway, I've been shouting from the rooftops for over 20 years on these issues, folks. So forgive me if I take Joy out behind the woodshed here and, 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 and just beg her not to get into this whole gender identity thing. Please don't give the barbarians the credibility that they desire, okay? If you and, and folks like Joy here writing at The Federalist, if you wonder why it is the left hates us so much... And why do they view parents who object as criminals or as terrorists is because the left understands that we're in a war. They know. And they're not afraid to use the tactics of warfare against us. And so we need to start using the tactics of not even necessarily warfare, just common sense justice, like child molesters and people who want to talk to kids about sex should be arrested. They shouldn't be teaching at school. It's not that they're not equipped. It's not that they're not qualified. It's that they're criminals and they should be arrested. And the criminals, we're, we are allowing the criminals to make war upon us, and we're looking around wondering, why is everything so divisive? My, it's so terrible. The political atmosphere is so divisive these days. As the enemy actually molests and actually kills your children, you're wondering why everything is so divisive. It's because they understand the stakes in the culture war, Mom. They actually understand it. While our side is shocked by it, or maybe they find humor in it, or they chuckle about it while they grind out a living, snarking about it and reporting about it. Well, Joy, I just hope you're not one of those. I I hope you're not one of those, Joy, who has any of your six kids in the government schools. Sending your kid actively into the act, into the enemy of into the camp of the enemy. I hope not, Joy. But I got to tell you, by reading your article, it's just uh, I'm I'm worried that that's all I I worry about you people. Um. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna tag Joy, and I'm hoping Joy actually responds to me. And I hope Joy says, "Of course, my kids are in the public schools. No way." That's why this 4-H pervert offended me so badly. Um, but we, what we need to do is we need to call for these people who want our kids to do their gender identity. These people need to be arrested. You want to talk about an existential threat? This is an existential threat that needs to be addressed with extreme prejudice. Mom, dad, 
all of you urinalists there in the so-called conservative media over at the post-millennial and over at the Federalist, I've been shouting at you people for two decades. Wake up. I know, I know the gunfire gets everyone's attention when the brains are splattered on the wall and there's blood on the, on the classroom floor. That gets everyone's attention. But we've been trying to get your attention for quite some time. All right, now, meanwhile, from the politics and religion file, <clears throat> Joe Biden's Justice Department and the FBI director uh, have unsealed criminal charges against an Iraqi national in the United States, they say he was planning to smuggle four ISIS-linked terrorists from Iraq into the United States in order to kill former President George W. Bush. That's right. An assassination in retaliation for the Iraq war. Charges have been filed against Shihab Ahmed Shihab. And so again, so who can trust the DOJ and the FBI? Are, are, is this serious that Shihab, Ahmed Shihab wanted to kill George W. Bush? Is it possible that that's true? Well, it's possible that's true. It's also possible that it's not true. Why? Because the DOJ and the FBI are full of corrupt liars. Criminally corrupt liars, traitors, treasonous bastards that we can no longer trust. And folks, that's a very scary place to be. And, but that's where we are. Because, well, it's like Micah said, and just go back and listen or actually pick it up and just read the book of Micah and think about America. Because here's the facts, uh, Mr. and Mrs. America. George W. Bush from, from the red state of Texas, George W. Bush deserves to fear for his life on a moment by moment basis. He deserves it. But, but not from terrorists from Iraq and for that stupidity that he did over there. But George W. Bush, he deserves to be in fear regarding his rapidly approaching meeting with God. And where he's going to have to give an account for what he did. And so it's not just George W. Bush, by the way, Mr. and Mrs. America. It's you and I. We all, that's the fear of God. We all need to be in fear of our rapidly approaching meeting with the creator of the universe and when he asks us to give an account for what all we did. I can tell you that you're going to need an advocate on that day. So start in Micah chapter 1, read through the whole book, and then read through the rest of the Bible and it'll become obvious to you that you need an advocate and who that advocate uh, must be if you want to uh, merely exist forever, or if you would prefer to live forever. So anyway, that's the Weekly Worldview for this week, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank my other brother, Daryl, for making it all happen here at the Weekly Worldview Studios. I want to thank my friends at Real Science Radio and you for listening. And if, should the Lord tarry, should Jesus Christ tarry, we'll return next week. And until then, may the grace of God go with you, and may the peace of Jesus Christ be upon you. <laughs>